Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you, as always, in this episode Scott Jeffrey Miller. I like to always go with the full name uh, out of the gate there. So, Scott, thanks for being with us today. Earl, thank you for the platform and the spotlight. Looking forward to our conversation. Oh, this is going to be outstanding. And folks, when when you hear Scott's bio, you're going to understand why I'm excited to have this conversation because Scott is a highly sought after speaker, author, and podcast host in his own right. He is currently Franklin Covey's Senior Advisor on Thought Leadership, leading the strategy, development, and publication of the firm's best-selling books on leadership. Prior to his role, Scott was a 25-year Franklin Covey associate, serving as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president. He currently hosts Franklin Covey's On Leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest and fastest-growing weekly leadership podcast. And like all my other friends from the Covey uh, family, uh, resides in Salt Lake City with his wife and three sons. So, Scott? Um, with that background and your, your wealth of knowledge there, I'm very excited to hear how you answered the first question I started everybody out with. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Well, I think first and foremost, Earl, it's about modeling all of the behaviors you want to see from your team members. Responsible leadership means that you opt in to a high standard level. If you want your team members to stop gossiping, you can't gossip. If you want them to be punctual, you have to be on time. If you want them to be considerate of others, you have to offer apologies and admit when you're wrong. If you want them to self-regulate, you have to do the same. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's why not everyone should be a leader of people. Leadership is hard. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everybody should be a commercial airline pilot. And not everyone should be 
a leader of people. But if you are, then you need to be a responsible leader. And that means modeling all of the behaviors that you want to see in your team members so that they recognize that you're not a hypocrite. You're actually a responsible leader. It's a high standard. It's not for everybody. Mm. I love that. I love that so much because the, you know, the first shield I teach here at the leadership phalanx is you are always on display and it's everything that you just said there. You've got to make sure as a leader, if you take up that mantle that you realize that people are always watching your actions, your words have to align. Everything you do uh, is being scrutinized. And I, and, and I love that because I think that is one of the responsibilities of leadership. Not everybody fully appreciates when they step into that role, that burden that gets placed on their shoulders of, you know, being under the microscope constantly. Cause, and I'm sure you probably got plenty of stories you can share about this, but the, the minute you forget that you're being looked at and you let that stuff slip out of alignment, it all starts going squirrely, doesn't it? Well, it does. Yeah. I mean, we could talk for hours just about you know, what it means to be a responsible leader and you've got to continually recognize you aren't going to have all the answers. You're going to say things and do things that are wrong. You're going to need mm-hmm. to take responsibility for them and apologize immediately and commit to doing better. But that's also what everybody expects from their leader now, right? I think people recognize that because you are a leader does not mean you're the genius in the room. Because you are the leader does not mean you're going to get it always right. Vulnerability, Earl, is a leadership competency. Just like reading a PL and calculating EBITDA, vulnerability is what attracts people to great leaders. I mean, we know this human resource adage is true. People don't quit jobs. They quit bad bosses and corrupt cultures. So if you want to create a culture where people choose a high level of engagement, then you've got to constantly be behaving yourself into a reputation of being trusted, making, keeping commitments, offering apologies, acknowledging when you're wrong and saying, I don't know, let's go figure it out together. That wasn't the kind of leaders that probably you and I were raised under in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s. But now it's the cultural imperative of every company I know. Yeah. Yeah, no. And and I like that last part there because, you know, that's one of the things that I love doing on this podcast, being a Marine Corps veteran is, you know, kind of talking and in, in, uh, about that, that style of leadership because I think it gets uh, misrepresented in, in Hollywood quite a bit. What doesn't, right? Um, but what you just said, I mean, that was what was really expected of us as leaders in the military was when we didn't have the answer, being okay saying we don't have the answer, but we'll find out, even if that means asking uh, a, a subordinate, right? You know, if you're a sergeant, you don't have the answer. It's okay if to acknowledge that the Lance Corporal has the answer. That's good leadership. That that builds uh, esteem in them. That builds some confidence. That gets them ready to take the step into their next uh, leadership role. And and you know, I, I love that because you know I talk a lot on here about res- uh, leadership being just another relationship. And I tell folks, I said, if I love you is the three most powerful words in a personal relationship, I don't know, or it's my fault are probably the three most powerful words in a leadership follower relationship, right? Wow. I love that concept. I'll expand on that very briefly. People don't quit leaders who love them. Obviously, I mean that in the appropriate sense of the word, but people don't quit leaders that show they care about them. And not just what they can do for their organization, but they care about you and all the roles of your life, including those outside of the company. 
People don't go across the street to your competition for one more dollar an hour or two more percent commission or a $10,000 raise in an in a, in a uptick. People don't quit leaders, generally speaking, who love them. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that is the key uh, that I hope a lot of leaders listening, because I've mentioned this a few times on this podcast, and I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, because I think that is the key that a lot of folks are missing in this great resignation and quiet quitting and all that kind of good stuff is they're not quietly quitting. They're they're screaming at you that something is wrong in the organization and you need to pay attention and make those adjustments so you don't have that, that mass exodus at a lot of organizations. Because they're not saying, I don't want to work. They're saying, I don't want to work for you. How's that sound? You know, Earl, it's so well said. This is not your first rodeo. We hear a lot about engagement these days, right? Everybody's measuring engagement. Everyone's obsessed with engagement. And I think sometimes I've even heard the comment that, you know, a leader's job is to create engagement. Well, that's not true. Leaders don't create engagement. I can't force you to be engaged. Right. What I can do is I can create the conditions, the culture, the environment where you do choose to come to work highly engaged. And conversely, I can create a culture where you choose to come to work miserably engaged. But that's the role of a leader, right? Is to create the conditions, the culture, the environment where people feel respected. They feel challenged. They feel loved. They feel stretched. They feel valued. They feel appreciated. They feel like they have a voice. Yeah, You know, it's easier if you and I talk about it, but this is the practical role of a leader. Yes. Well, 100%. And, and as you're talking about that, the, the prime example that pops into my head, and I know a lot of people want to talk about the 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 politics side of it, but, you know, Chick-fil-A, you just described Chick-fil-A's culture. Like, I, I haven't seen the current stats, but I remember reading a couple years ago, like, they almost, they, they fire almost nobody. Like, people come in and they either figure out that they fit in the culture or they figure out that they don't fit in the culture and they move on. Um, and, and I think that is, is, is a great sign of a strong culture is when, what you said, you create the environment and you get people the freedom to say, Hey, yeah, this is where I want to be. Zappos was another example. I don't know if they still do the, where they pay people to quit if they don't want to be there after a certain period of time. But you know, those cultures where you you make it, it's okay for people to not want to be there as long as you've created the proper environment. And I like what you said there because, that, that is great. We, we, we see a lot of leaders who take it as an ego blow when somebody wants to move on or somebody wants to take another opportunity. And, you know, part of, part of being a responsible leader is, is helping people make that move, right. Is, is taking care of them on their journey. Right. Well said, nothing to add to that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That makes me feel good. Um, so one of the things uh, that we want to talk about here, because I love this book, and, and I got to be honest with you, um, this this was kind of a, a blueprint for me because it's something I've wanted to do with this podcast myself. Uh, but your book, uh, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. Um, let, me, let me just start here and, and ask this, like, so for the listeners, I guess I should back up here a little bit. For the listeners, the way the book is laid out is Scott talks about uh, his his personal experiences and conversations that he's had with people on uh, the On Leadership podcast. Um, 
And I love the layout. I love the way that you kind of uh, give, you know, the little QR codes in here for people to get more information. You give little uh, executables at the end of, of, of each chapter and you really highlight your guests, right? You can give them more of a platform other than quote unquote, just being on the show. But um, yeah, how did you come up with this idea? Like what was your kind of brainchild for turning the podcast into this level of evergreen content? I love, Earl, that you asked this because it was kind of a confluence of a variety of things. I don't know, a decade ago, I heard a depressing statistic, which is something like 99 point something percent of all humans go through life never having an original thought. And once I recovered from that insulting statistic, <laughs> I thought, you know, that's probably very much true. And I thought, you know, my, my contribution may not have been ever having a truly original thought. I mean, think about the, you know, hundreds of billions of humans in our, in our world. It's probably true. But what I can do is be a great aggregator, great pollinator of other people's ideas. So I had the privilege now of hosting what is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast four years in for Franklin Covey. And I've had some amazing conversations with you know Deepak Chopra and Arina Huffington and Jay Shetty and I mean Sophia Almoroso and Liz Wiseman and Susan Kane and Dan Pink and Seth Godin and on and on and on, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And what I found is there were some really amazing nuggets. And Earl, I bet you have had a similar experience. Oftentimes they were dropped off air. <laughs> like, you know, right. in the first two minutes meeting the person or in the last eight minutes where we debriefed it afterwards. And so with their permission and HarperCollins' confidence in me, I have a 10-volume, 10 10-book 10 deal with HarperCollins called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, where with the permission of these guests, I share a single transformative insight from each of them, fairly episodically, easy, breezy, short chapters, kind of like chicken soup for the modern leadership soul. And I just share something that I thought was profound or transformational that might hit different people differently based on their role. New parent, newly divorced, newly promoted, newly bankrupt, newly stressed, <laughs> you name it. And it's the kind of book where you can read it in you know four or five minutes, one chapter at a time each night before you go to bed, read it on a two or three hour flight. And I wrote it very much like I prefer to read books. And like I said, with the permission of these thought leaders, business titans, best-selling authors, researchers, people who'd suffered or recovered from unspeakable traumas and have a lesson of survival or clarity or forgiveness. To me, it's, it's been a gift to be able to pollinate the ideas from these 30 mentors. I just released volume two and volume three launches next year in the fall and every year for the next seven or so years. Mm. Yeah, no, and it's a brilliant idea. Uh, I mean, I, I love it. Like I said, it's uh, you, it's interesting to lead with that statistic because, like I said, when I got into this, um, I started this show asking the question, uh, what does burden of command mean to you? Because I started hearing a lot of people use military terms. And then I had an SEO expert on here who, like what you're talking about, nuggets, you know, afterwards. And he was talking about the show and helping it grow. And he, he tells me straight up, he says, Earl, you know, nobody goes and searches for the words burden or command. Those just aren't popular search terms. So we rebranded it as the Responsible Leadership Podcast. And sure enough, you know, people actually started listening. Um, 
but you know, like I said, that was kind of my intent is I wanted to get as many people as I could answering that question about what is responsible leadership look like to turn it into a book similar to this. So uh, I thought at the time, hey, this is a great idea. Nobody saw to this. And then I find out, hey, you beat me to it. So yeah, I guess it's true. Uh, I still haven't had an original thought yet. So thanks for bursting my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such valuable work, right? And I think that's the one thing and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, as a podcaster, getting to talk to all these people, um, I mean, for me, this is as much uh, a labor of love. This is as much a growth experience for me as it is just putting content together and trying to, uh, you know, trying to, to, you know, maybe make a few bucks here and there if you're lucky. It's, it's, it's really life changing to get to have these conversations with some of these folks. So uh, I'm sure you probably got a million stories you could share about how each one of your episodes has, has changed your life a little bit, I'd bet. Oh, in fact, I do. Uh, in fact, multiple moments in many episodes. I highlighted the ones in the book Master Mentors because I thought they would appeal to a broad audience. You know, some of them are epiphanies. Some of them you might find fairly rudimentary, but at some other situation or circumstance in your life, it might prepare you well on how to deal with that should you face that opportunity or challenge or trauma or crisis or life-changing event. And so I wrote it very episodically, you know, and, and, you know, there might be one chapter about marketing and one chapter about brand, one chapter about hard work, one chapter about parenting, one chapter about understanding your language, another chapter about understanding your company's business model. I actually had a publisher pass on it, a publisher who was quite bullish on me and has published two of my books that are out, but HarperCollins saw the light, saw the vision for it, and I am forever indebted to them for that. Yeah, no, and I, I love that uh, because, I mean, looking at this, it's true. And for my listeners, I, I think you're going to find that when you go through the book that, uh, you know, everything that Scott just said there is right on. And and it's it's nice, easy, digestible. And one thing that I love is there's a lot of simplicity here. And, and I think that's the one thing where I see a lot of leaders and a lot of leadership development folks kind of overcomplicate leadership. Um, and and it, it's complex. There's a lot of moving parts, but it is also something that you can simplify down into some nuggets, as, as you called it. And I think you do a great job through these conversations. And I really want to uh, kind of start, if you don't mind. And, and again, as we talked before, I'm from Tennessee. We pronounce stuff different out, uh, out that way. Uh, but uh, uh, Marie Forleo. Yes. Well said. Marie er Forleo. <laughs> there we go. Everything is figure outable. And I love that because that's one of the things we actually said in the Marines was everything is figure outable. Um, so, so let's talk about that. Like, what was it in that chapter that you kind of really took away from all this? So, Marie Forleo is, you know, a very popular author, keynote speaker, coach, online course offerer, online influencer. She wrote a very famous book, New York Times bestseller, about three years ago called Just That Everything is Figure Outable. And it was a concept that she learned from her mother, a, a New Jersey single mom that didn't have the resources or the talent to have a, you know, be a big income earner. And therefore she had to, as a single mom, figure everything out. And one day Marie Forleo comes home from school and I think she sees her mom on the roof, like fixing the antenna. And as a young impressionable girl, 
her mom instills upon her how important it is to have a mindset, a paradigm, a belief system that in fact everything in life is figureoutable. Now, if you have terminal cancer and there's no hope for your survival, I recognize there are outliers. All of us are going to die at some point in our life. Barring the extreme outliers, I think it's just a great mindset to recognize, you know, with enough ingenuity, you can figure everything out. My, my career has been primarily with the Walt Disney Company for four years and then 27 years with the Franklin Covey Company, the leadership development company based here in Salt Lake City where I live, founded by the seminal author, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, of course, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the concepts back when Dr. Covey was alive and my mentor and coach and leader in the company was he had a phrase called your R and your I, resourcefulness and initiative. Scott, use your R and your I, figure it out. And Mm -hmm. it probably was one of the most impactful pieces of mentoring that Dr. Covey ever instilled in me to use my R and my I. And I use it multiple times every day of the week, whether it be figuring out how to make it through my IRS audit, audit, which I'm going through right now, how to publish a book, how to host a podcast, how to host a radio program, how to launch a product, how to parent, how to keep your marriage together, how to make your mortgage, how to re-thread the the cord in your weed whacker, which I can never do. And so I really give Marie credit for this amazing book. I tell an amazing story in the chapter about one of my Franklin Covey colleagues who seriously had the mindset of everything is figureoutable. And so I think it's just a great paradigm to teach our team members, our children, and to model it as ourselves. You know, life can be overwhelmingly special the last couple of years, right? I mean, we've all suffered trauma, some of us more than others. I love this adage, you know, we were all in the same storm, but we weren't all in the same boat. Some of our boats were more sturdy than others, but all of us had to bring to bear some level of resourcefulness and initiative. I think it's a phenomenal skill to learn and to teach others in your life. And I give Marie Forleo great credit for her book, Everything is Figureoutable. Yeah, no, and and rightfully so. It is a great concept to get out there. Uh, you know, I mean, because again, I, I hate to keep bringing it up, but you know, it's my background. Uh, that, that was our thing in the Marines. We had a saying, uh, there's no problems, only solutions go find the solutions. Um, because that was it, right. It, it, it's an empowering thing. As you said, if, if something happens to you and you realize that almost everything, like you said, there's some terminal issues and things like that, but there, there's something that, and, and even those, there's something to figure out there. I'm, I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name now, but it's a great Ted talk. Uh, there's a guy, I want to say he's Danish. Um, but the, the quick story is he was diagnosed with some heart issue that was, I don't remember like 80, 90% fatal. And he goes home and he, he, his, he tells it, he gives himself a little pity party, but he realizes, Hey, I'm, I'm a structural engineer. I build tubes all day. The problem with my heart is a tube issue. And so he sits down and he starts engineering uh, the tube to replace what was going on with his heart. And he goes from being an engineer designing, you know, tunnels and things like that to being a pioneer in this, this particular type of heart surgery. 
So, you know, even with some of these, these fatal sounding things, if you've got the skill set or you know somebody, everything is figure outable. You know, that, that's how we've got most of the cures for diseases we've gotten. Somebody has gotten it and realized, hey, I'm not going to give up until I find a, a fix for this. And, and they do it. So I love it. And I, I love her mindset. I love the, the, the fact that she's getting that message out there. And I love the fact that you highlighted it uh, in the book. Um, Earl, thank you for that. I also think it's a, it's a talent, right? I mean, you've got to demonstrate yeah. humility. I mean, I, I, here's a good example. I have a career coaching course called Ignite Your Genius. And it's a self-paced course that a lot of companies buy for their internal employees. And I have a big client that wants to deliver it to their Spanish-speaking employees, 2,000 Spanish-speaking employees in Mexico. And they want the workbook translated into Spanish, and they want the video subtitled in Spanish. And so I need, I need to deliver this by Friday. I've probably made four or five phone calls today to people smarter than me, just asking which service, how do I do this, what can I do to get it accomplished? And I'm not afraid to ask anybody for help on anything. I have no, Maybe it's my age and my... my um, having learned many lessons, but I think it's important that it's the most confident people that are capable of demonstrating humility. It's the most arrogant people who are incapable of demonstrating humility. And I found there is a correlation between speed and humility. The more humble you're willing to be, the faster you can get stuff done. Yeah. Yes. Learn that the hard way. (laughs) Well, haven't we all? Haven't we all? Um, I love that. That's a great nugget. Uh, To go into the break, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, pay some bills, and we'll come back and and get uh, a little deeper into uh, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. All right, folks, welcome back from that break there. A reminder, we're with Scott Miller, author of Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, and host of the On Leadership podcast uh, from Franklin Covey. Uh, before the break, we were talking about everything being figure outable. Uh, definitely, if you missed that, if you're joining us late, make sure you go back and listen to that. There were some great, great nuggets there. Um the next one, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about, because I think this is such an important element uh, for for modern work environments, being virtual, spread out. Uh, you know, anybody can be a multinational organization these days, thanks to the advances of uh, that were made during uh, COVID. Uh, but you had uh, a lady, uh, Erica uh, Dewan, be intentional about your virtual presence. And, and I love some of the things that she hit on there. Uh, it was a great, great chapter uh, for me, brushing up on some of my virtual skills uh, going over this. But I'm kind of curious for you, why did that one stick out? 
Well, first of all, Erica Dewan is an extraordinarily well-educated person. I believe she has degrees from three Ivy League institutions. She is now one of the most booked keynoters in America, Indian-American uh, 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 genius author of a new book called Digital Body Language. Genius also in her timing. It literally came out right as the pandemic hit. And she basically teaches us in very funny, relatable, practical terms that you know your new handshake is your digital presence. Most of us have transitioned if we're you know if we're um, knowledge workers have transitioned to some kind of hybrid environment. Maybe you're all at hundred percent at home or you're partially in the office, but regardless, we're still on you know these digital platforms multiple times a day. This is my eleventh hour in the studio today. Eleven hours on yeah. ZenCaster. StreamYard, Microsoft Teams, Zoom. I've been on all of them today. I've literally been in this studio for 11 hours on five or six different platforms. And Erica's book, Digital Body Language, is really about helping you understand how do you convey confidence? How do you instill trust? How do you communicate confidently and boldly and invite people to do the same as team leaders? How do you create agendas and use tools? How do you make sure that your camera, your microphone, your handouts, your chat pod. How, how do you create a culture where people choose a high level of engagement virtually? She's not advocating all virtual or not virtual. She's just saying, hey, this in many ways is a new normal. It's not going back to how it was. Now, maybe the pendulum swung a bit far on this or that, but great book, tactical tools that I capture in my chapter about what is your digital handshake. And I'll tell you, Earl, my point, should anybody be confused, is not to create a, you know, uh, not to create an executive summary of all of their books at all. I want people to learn from these mentors and go buy their book. Go follow them on social media. So you'll notice in this book, I make several dozen book recommendations. I in no means am trying to create the cliff notes for these thought leaders' books. By the way, not all of them have books, but most of them do. My hope is to introduce people to these master mentors in the hopes that you might find them a valuable investment of your time and to go follow them and actually buy their book. And if you are spending any of your time virtually like you and I are, you must go buy Erica Dewan's book, Digital Body Language. Mm. No, I love that. And I love that you said that because that's what I want to do on this show too. And I have tell my listeners this all the time and, you know, I plug the books, uh, uh, hot and heavy. Uh, but I, I think that this, and I'm just going to go ahead and say, um, folks, just go ahead and put on your calendar to get, uh, the, the next eight volumes that come out, because if they're anywhere near as good as, as volumes one and two, you need to put space aside for, for all of these because master mentors and what Scott just said is, is a great way to describe it. You get the nice nuggets. You get to be introduced to these people and find out more about what they do. And that's the same goal I have here. And, and I just want to take that time to go ahead and plug. Yes, Erica's book, but definitely go out and buy master mentors and put on your calendar to get future copies because it's, it's a great, you know, I'm sure you probably heard this analogy before, but it's almost like speed dating with mentors. Uh, the, this book, you, you can go through, you can read, you got catchy titles for each one of the, 
the chapters there and they really pull you in to to want to learn more about what was being said there. So I, I, again, I can't say enough, uh, Scott. I think this 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 book, this format, this approach, it's it's a master stroke of genius in its own right. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see the the next eight in in what you profile in there. Um, but I will say this: the the one that stuck out to me next, and uh, you know, I know a lot of people know the name John Gordon, uh, but tell the truth Mondays. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Tell the truth Mondays. What's that concept about? Well, for those who may not know John Gordon, obviously one of the most prolific authors and coaches, gosh, in the world, right? I mean, written so many books, The Seed, The Motive. I mean, he's written, you know, The Coffee Bean. He's probably best known for The Energy Bus, but literally this guy is an absolute machine. His name, of course, is John Gordon. And he writes parables, short books, pithy books. Usually they're, you know, uh, fables or parables, but not always. But John's also a well-known coach to corporations and professional sporting teams. And I won't share the entire story, but in the chapter, I talk about a story that John shares of working with, I believe it was maybe an NFL team. I could have that wrong, but I think it was an NFL team, National Football League, and he talked about how this team had built this culture of where they have this meeting they call Tell the Truth Mondays, where every Monday morning after their Sunday or whatever day, Thursday, I don't follow football that closely, but it seems like there's lots of football on TV most nights these days, but <laughs> they have a really transparent culture where they sit down as a team and they watch all of the highlights and all the plays from their previous game, win or lose. And they have this transparent culture where everybody rises to the occasion and talks about what they did well and what they didn't do well. There's no finger pointing. There's no obfuscation. There's no, there's nothing but ownership. Right. And I liked the idea. I mean, what kind of great culture would that be in every organization if each team had their version of a tell the truth Monday? For that matter, what if every family had it? We just sat down and talked about the things we were proud of this week, the ways in which we lifted or minimized members of our family, things that we're proud of and things that we're ashamed of and things we're going to work on to get better at. I love the idea of Tell the Truth Mondays for families. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I love that you use the word ownership there because uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great word. I know – with Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership, a lot of people were using it. And, you know, even he admits in some ways misusing it when he had to write a follow-up book to try to help people understand how to take ownership. Because it's not just saying, oh, my bad. You got to say, I messed up. Here's the action we're going to take to fix it. You got to take actual ownership and make points of improvement. But but I love that idea of of kind of giving the, you know, the... I guess you could say free pass, if you will. And, and it sounds like if I understood the story, right, like it's for everybody from the water boy to the, the head coach, right? Well, that's exactly right. In fact, Earl, my first book I released three years ago, probably my best selling book is called Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenge to Become the Leader You Would Follow. And the premise of it was, is that as leaders, you've got to own your mess, And by the way, you've got lots of them and everybody knows what they are. and They're probably talking about them. So if we believe the opening thing that I said, responsible leadership is about modeling 
as a leader, you've got to own your mistakes. You've got to talk openly about them. And because as the leader, when you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. Yes. You've got to make sure that you're creating a culture where it's safe for everyone to talk about their mistakes, their wins, their triumphs, their setbacks, their fears, their passions. And it starts with you. And the moment that you start demonstrating responsible leadership, that it is a talent, a competency to courageously talk about what you should do different, how you're going to lead out. You know, most change, most new strategy requires everyone to learn something new or do something different. Not just your team, but you. And as the leader, you've got to lead out. To quote Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote the books, The Speed of Trust and Trust and Inspire, leaders go first. Yep. And, 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 uh, the audience should be very fresh with that because I think uh, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey's interview is going to be just a couple before this. So oh, no kidding, uh, I'm yeah, in the company. So, I know it's it's uh, I, I've been introduced to the the, the Covey family here, and, and I'm uh, uh, and, and I include you as part of the the Franklin Covey family That's there. Gracious. And I've That's been an association. I'll take thank you. Oh, it's 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 been an absolute blessing. Like I just I, I love everything you all are doing. And, and, you know, again, having, having y'all, I'm going to have, uh, uh, Cynthia Covey holler yes, uh, yes, on here book, uh, living in crescendo. And I, yes. And I got a copy of that folks again, advanced, uh, cause she's going to be, I think a couple episodes after you, uh, I got fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of that great book in of its own right. If you're a fan of Stephen R. Covey, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, uh, it's going to be a great book, but that's a little teaser for that. Um, but I just, again, I love everything that y'all are doing and I love that, that piece there. And especially I think in an, an era where we're having, it's easier and we're getting more and more startups, more and more people are taking on the entrepreneur mantle. One of the things that popped in my head as you were telling, uh, you were talking about that was kind of a conversation I heard with Gene Kranz talking about NASA and NASA starting up. And he, he was, you know, honest. He talked about this ownership being a big part of it. Uh, he's got the famous speech I've talked about here before, the Kranz dictum after the Apollo 1 uh, disaster. But he goes back even further and he talks about when NASA first started, you know, now NASA is known as we attract the top engineers, we attract all the top talent, no matter what the discipline is. But he said in the beginning, it wasn't like that. We were getting the people that didn't have any other job opportunities. Nobody knew what NASA was. Nobody knew what the mission was. Nobody knew how long it was going to be funded for. So nobody took those opportunities. So we had to operate in, in that high trust environment with one another because we knew we had shortcomings. We knew we didn't have all the answers. And, and I love what you're saying and what you're relaying here because that piece, just knowing you don't have all the answers and being able to admit it, is just such a high level of leadership that not many people get to without, as you mentioned, hitting a lot of struggles along the way. Again, beautifully said, nothing to add to that. I mean, Earl, <laughs> nicely said. I, lo I love it. So I've picked a, a few of the ones that I liked from the book. I'm going to put you on the spot here because, you know, I'm sure it's probably like trying to ask you to pick your favorite child. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious, out of this, this set of 30, uh, what is the one that probably rang out the most to you? 
Well, it probably is master mentor number 32. Now, keep in mind, each of my volumes has 30 mentors in it. Volume one was number one through 30. Volume two is 31 through 63, 61 through 90. You get the point. Volume 32, who is the second master mentor in volume two, is a man named Bobby Herrera. Bobby Herrera has become a very successful entrepreneur, and he wrote a book called The Gift of Struggle. Very short book. You could read it in 45 minutes. I strongly recommend buying Bobby Herrera's book, The Gift of Struggle. Bobby tells a story in the podcast. By the way, the criteria for being in my book is, of course, you had to be a guest on the podcast and have a transformational insight. Bobby was um, one of 13 children, Latino by birth. His family was from Mexico. His father got a job as a far- in a farm, on a farm in New Mexico. And Bobby was the first of the 13 children to be born in New Mexico as an American citizen. And Bobby was obviously, as one of 13 children, born in a family of very humble means. No extras, hard work, lots of humility. And in high school, Bobby and his brother were basketball players. And every night after the game, win or lose at away games, the team bus would stop at a local restaurant and the entire team would go in and have dinner. Except for the Herrera brothers. They stayed on the bus because there was no money to join the team for dinner. They stayed on the bus and they ate the brown bagged dinner their mom had packed for them every night, game after game. Everybody knew this. No one even invited the Herrera brothers in because they knew they couldn't come in. My sense is the restaurant wasn't Ruth's Chris. It was probably more like the Sizzler. Right. Until one night, and I always get emotional telling this story, so pardon me, Earl. One night, one of the team members' fathers, a successful local businessman named Mr. Teague reboarded the bus, came back to the Herrera brothers and said, I want you to be my guest at dinner. I'm paying for your dinner. No one needs to know. I want you to join the team. All I ask in return is you go make something of yourselves and pay it forward to someone else. Mm. This was a $5 dinner. And Bobby Herrera, who went on to become the CEO of a multi-million dollar company and a best-selling author and an in-demand keynoter said it was the first time in his life, Earl, that he'd ever felt seen by someone else. He had no plan for his life. Hell, he couldn't see tomorrow, let alone going to college or anything else. And that was the first time in his life that evening that he'd ever felt seen by another person. And I share that story because I was born in a family of much more privilege than Bobby Herrera. And I remember the very first time I felt seen by anyone. And I want your listeners to be thinking about it. And hopefully if they read this story, it will have the similar emotional impact it did on me because in all of our lives, someone reboarded the bus for us. Someone made us feel seen. And each of us, regardless of our positional power, our income, our stature, our title, our competence, we all have the ability to board the bus for someone else and to make them feel seen. Because at the end of the day, all that matters in life is your reputation and your relationships. And 
everyone just wants to feel heard and be seen. And that's just like one example of the powerful stories, I think, that come out in this book from these 30 master mentors. I'll leave you and your listeners tonight with who boarded the bus for you and who will you go board the bus for as well? I love that. That is such a beautiful story. And, and uh, you know, listeners, I, I really want to know the answer to that question. So when you're listening to this and you're interacting with it on social media, tell that story. I, w- I want to hear the story. I'm sure Scott wants to hear the story. Uh, I'm sure Bobby would love to, to hear the story if we can get his eyes on it, because those moments, they, they are so powerful. And thank you for being, you know, kind of open and, and authentic and vulnerable there with the story. I, I get the same way. I've got some stories you know, that I tell that I just can't get through period end of story. I can't get through, uh, without getting a little misty. Um, and you know, that that's, that's good, right? I mean, those are the stories that people resonate with that, that make you feel something. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And, and, and folks take that to heart because, you know, again, as I talk about in, in the shields that you're always on display and then build relationships and look out for your people. That's, both of those things happened right there in that story very, very quickly, but that's how easy it is. It's just taking that time to uh, recognize, invest, show that you care. We talk about, you know, love, the, the, the agape version of love on this show and how that is foundational to leadership and, and even military leadership. And you just saw that. That was an act of, of love for another human being. And look at the difference it made because growing up in, in, you know, around a lot of the Hispanic culture in both Northeast Tennessee, not a place a lot of people uh, associate with Hispanic culture, but having lived in New Mexico for a while, uh, you know, I can tell you like, like that meant a world of difference to have somebody just say, hey, let's have a meal together uh, because it's so important to that culture. So uh, thank you for sharing that story. I really appreciate it, Scott. Earl, thank you for giving me the time to put the spotlight onto all of these 30 mentors today. Be honored if your listeners found any of this inspiring. Pick up a copy of Master Mentors. There'll be 10 volumes in the series. Volume one was released a year ago with some amazing stories of people that are just life-changing in terms of their willingness to share their journey. Appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, no, it has been great. And before we close out, I got to ask, I, I don't know, maybe we covered everything, but is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover uh, that you want to leave folks with? Sure. The other 25 stories in Master <laughs> Mentors. No, I think that's great. Thank you again for the platform today. All right. And um, if people want to find out, no, it's great. And, and I hope people go find the rest of those stories. Uh, but for people do want to find out, what's a good place for them to go to find out more about your work, get uh, subscribed to the On Leadership podcast and, and find all those good things. Well, my website is my name, scottjeffreymiller.com. You can find all the episodes of the two podcasts that I host there for Franklin Covey, all the articles that I've written for LinkedIn and Inc. Magazine. Uh, all the books that I write are there as well too. All my social media handles are there. You can connect to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. Facebook, you name it, scottjeffreymiller.com is a great place to visit. All right. Well, brother, I really appreciate it. Thank you for being an outstanding guest. Thank you for doing the work you're doing. Thank you for sharing that work uh, with me and my listeners here over this past 45 minutes or so. I really love it. 
Really appreciate you. Thank you for being a guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thanks for your work. Thanks, Earl. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.